Gospel reading for this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, beginning in chapter 8 at the 27th verse. Mark wrote these things. Jesus and his disciples headed out for the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And as they walked, he asked, Who do the people say that I am? Well, some say John the baptizer, they said. Others said Elijah. Still others said, Oh, one of the prophets. He then asked, And you, what are you saying about me? Who am I? Peter gave the answer, You are the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus warned them to keep it quiet, not to breathe a word of it to anyone. And he then began explaining things to them. It is necessary that the Son of Man proceed to an ordeal of suffering, be tried and found guilty by the elders, high priests, and religion scholars, be killed, and after three days rise up alive. And he said this simply and clearly so that they could not miss it. But Peter grabbed him in protest, turning and seeing his disciples wavering, wondering what to believe. Jesus confronted Peter. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. And calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, hey, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. So don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself, your true self. And what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I'm leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends... Know that you'll be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when he arrives in all the splendor of God his Father with the army of the holy angels. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Oh Lord, how many times we're guilty of wanting the easy way rather than the challenging way. How many times do we want to set the agenda rather than follow? Let us each have the love of Christ, take up our crosses, and follow Jesus. So open our ears, our minds, and our hearts to your word for us this day. Amen. Now in Mark's gospel, this is a story that is packed really with three things, and they all come crashing together in this one place. And they are identity, expectations, and suffering. They come crashing together through this story. Now the stories that lead up to this show that the disciples aren't quite getting it. Um, there is an identity crisis going on. It's very famous in Mark's Gospel. It's called the Messianic Secret by most religious scholars. But the only ones up until this point in the story that have been allowed to identify Jesus and not be shushed are demon-possessed human beings. So it makes what happens here even more interesting, I think. Now in chapter 4, just to show you where the disciples are, they outright ask, who is this? 
In chapter 6, when they see Jesus, they think that they're seeing a ghost. But for the reader, that knowledge gap doesn't exist. Because right in the beginning of Mark's gospel, Mark tells us this is the story of Jesus Christ, Messiah, Son of God. So we know all of those things. Part of what helps drive this story forward is the gap in knowledge between the reader at the very beginning and the disciples as they struggle through trying to come to this same knowledge. And this is where the gap suddenly closes. And I think it does so in a real interesting way. So, it's in Caesarea Philippi. Anybody know anything about Caesarea Philippi? What it was like at the time? Caesarea Philippi is north of the Galilee region where Jesus was preaching and having a generally good time. Um, but he takes the disciples up into a region that really borders Roman-held occupied territory. So this is a Roman city, and it's full of idols. So it's full of uh, idols of Pan. Baal is represented there, um, and many more. So in the midst of this, where if the disciples would have looked around pretty much wherever they were, they could see statues of idols of other people that people worship, Jesus says, who do people say I am? And they tell him. And what they tell him rings back to a story two chapters prior. It's a flashback story in Mark's gospel of the beheading of John the Baptist. And that story begins with this same thing. Who did people think John the Baptist was? They thought he was Elijah or a prophet. There are many identity issues. So the identity issues get recalled right here. And Jesus takes that same identity issue and he spins it on its tail because Peter's bold enough now to stand forward and say, well, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And it's the first time in Mark's gospel that a human being gets it right. Gets it right without being demon-possessed. Which is interesting that just a couple verses later, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, to Peter, right? So Peter gets it right, and for the reader, that knowledge gap is suddenly closed. But then Jesus opens it up again in a real interesting way. Because right on the heels of what Peter says that's correct, he does what? He talks about suffering and dying and being raised again. To which Peter says, no way. No way. Now why does Peter say no way? Expectations. I just said that you were the Messiah. Now, who did we think the Messiah was going to be? And please don't be too hard on Peter here because I think it would have been the same for us. Because our Messiah, our God, if we're honest, we want to be strong and mighty, and save us, and heal our diseases, right? And kick the Romans in the butt, and get them off our back. It's hard for us to hear this Messiah that's going to suffer, and die, and be raised again. A Messiah that identifies with us in our weakest spots. I think what Jesus is saying is you're getting your Messiah, you're not getting the God that you want, but trust me, you're getting the God that you need. You're getting the God that you need. So this expectations thing. 
Those of you that have been with me for a while know that I love this story. You've heard it before, but I think it's important, and it's important here. Not a big Jerry Seinfeld fan. I didn't watch the show. But somewhere I came across a quote that Jerry Seinfeld said, the very best position to be in in life is next. <laughs> and I stopped to think about that. That's the, I mean, there's a lot of truth to that statement. The best place to be in life is next. And why is that? Because our expectations are high, right? Those of us that have spent time at amusement parks, and for me it's been years now, in fact, I think I've probably ridden my last roller coaster. <laughs> but I remember what it was like to be next in line. And back then you couldn't buy a pass that got you cuts in front of everybody else. You just stood in line. So you would stand in line many times for over an hour to ride a ride that lasted two minutes, if. And the whole time you're in line, what's happening? Your expectations build about how fun that's going to be. And the very best place to be for me, I think this is why it's so true for me, is next in line at a roller coaster. Because your expectations are still high, but then what happens? Two minutes later, it's over. It's over. And what happens? Through the course of that ride, it was like, oh no, that hill got me better the last time I was here. I mean, you know, the expectations start getting adjusted a little bit. That's true in so much of life. And I think it really applies in this situation. I would put forward to you today that it is easier to wait for a Messiah than to believe in one that's right in front of you. Because the one that's right in front of you is not going to be the one that you've expected, that you've come to expect. And I think there's a danger in that for us. Do we still wait, await a Messiah? Are we still awaiting a Messiah? Yeah, because we believe Jesus is coming back, don't we? Right. We just happen to believe that he's been here once before. That's what differentiates us from some of the other religions. But we're still awaiting our Messiah. Now I'd ask this question, you don't have to answer it, it's just a rhetorical question. What kind of expectations have we built up for that return um, that may have us have a problem when he shows up face to face? Would we recognize him? Would we say, yeah, he's the guy? Because we've been set up, folks. The Messiah we've come to expect is the portrait of what? The book of Revelation, right? Isn't that the one that outlines how it's going to be? And that is a kick-butt Messiah. It's the Messiah that they were expecting the first time and didn't get. It just got rewritten into the end times. It's like, okay, he didn't kick him in the butt this time, but surely when he comes back, we're kicking him in the butt. This is what it's going to look like. So I would just encourage you, we are not so different from Peter. It's easy to look at him and say, how did you get this wrong? You know, you got it right. But what happens was, he found out that just naming the Messiah isn't enough to know who he really is. All of us can get that right, right? 
Because after all, we know the rest of the story by now. It's easy to say this is the Messiah. It's tougher to do what he expects us to do if we truly claim that name. Because what he expects us to do is pick up a... It's hard to say. Pick up a cross and follow him, right? Pick up a cross and follow him. Is that hard? I think that's the hardest part. See, this is what happens when I get off script. Now you've got to give me two seconds to just make sure I said everything that I really wanted to say. Um, yeah. Okay. So Peter says, no way. Oh, I know what I wanted to talk about. One last thing. This is the tough part. This whole bit about suffering. It's easy to look at what Jesus says, I think, and glorify the notion of suffering. But I really believe that what he says is not that he's suffering for suffering itself, and that there's no glory in suffering. But the suffering is the result of living a life that Jesus lives. And what kind of life is that? Who does he identify with? The outcasts? The people that society has thrown aside? Willingly lets himself be touched by lepers and becomes ritually unclean? Is at constant odds with the church, the established church at the time, because of that? You know, the life that he lives leads to suffering, not for suffering's sake, but because of the life that he lives. There's a huge difference. You know, in our adult Sunday school class today, we're going to be talking about why is there evil in the world? You know, and it's a tough nut, and I'm not going to try and tackle it here because I need all the help I can get in the room upstairs. Um, but it's part of it. It's, it's really tied into this whole notion of suffering. And we don't suffer to glorify the notion of suffering. We end up suffering because of the life that we're called to live. And the life that we're called to live, when you really think about it, is not just to pick up your own cross. But perhaps what we're really being asked to do as a true disciple of Jesus is being willing to pick up the cross of another. It's to pick up the cross of another. And I think that's all I have to say. Any questions? Anything I can help with? Thank you for listening. Thank you for your time.